Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3 and following reads this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? I want to stop there for a moment because I think sometimes we can get confused when we read the scripture and we think, oh, well, wait a minute, I have never been baptized. Talking about the baptistry and being baptized. That is not what this is referring to. It's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about spiritual baptism. When we are given, when we surrender our life to Christ, we die to ourself, we are buried with Christ, buried with Him, and then we are raised with Him. And so what it's in reference to is Christ's death on the cross for the payment of our sin... His death, His burial, and as we'll continue to read, His resurrection. So when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we are being buried with Christ. We are dying with Him. Do we not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Now this is more than just metaphorical. It's reality. That's the beautiful thing. I don't understand it completely. I know Christ's death happened long before you and I were born. But when Christ died on the cross, you were on his mind. When Christ died on the cross and we received Jesus, I can't explain it, but there is a teleport of some sort. There is a connection of some sort that we, in receiving Christ, die we are accepting him in the scripture, as the scripture says here, that as we have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. So it's a spiritual connection. Keep in mind, I realize we live in the physical world. We want to we understand everything from a physical point of view. Uh, that's why the scripture tells us in Proverbs 3, uh, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all our heart. And lean not to our own understanding. Because humanly we don't always understand some of these very, spirit, very deep spiritual matters. But it is a spiritual thing that takes place at the birth of a new believer. Is that they have been, they have been buried with Christ. They have died with, in a sense. They have died, not even in a sense. They have died in Christ Jesus into his death. Look at verse number 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Now, you want to talk metaphoric, metaphoric or as a symbol of that death, burial, and resurrection, we have water baptism. But that is only a picture of what took place the day that you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You died to yourself, you were buried with Christ Jesus and raised in his likeness. Therefore, remember what I've always told you about the word therefore. What are you supposed to do when you see the word therefore? Always ask the question, why is it therefore? Why is therefore there? 
Why is therefore there? Therefore, because you have been buried with Christ and raised in his resurrection, therefore, the scripture says, what is it going to say there in verse number four? We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism and death in order that, here's a reason, Jesus, uh, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. What does walking entail? Moving forward, right? It has to do with advancing. It has to do with motion. I don't want you to miss that, as simplistic as it may be. We can think of it in the light of, oh yeah, I need to walk in Christ, Jesus. But yet we don't always put a full face on that. And a full face on that is that we are to be advancing. We are to have movement. So as a believer, you gave your life to Jesus. I want to ask you this question. Where had you ended up at? From the point of your salvation to where you're at today. And did you get there intentionally? Or do you just kind of turn around and go, oh, look where I've ended up at. You're going to end up somewhere. It reminds me of the man walking down the New York street with a placard on his chest. And it read real big, I am a fool for Christ. People walk by and they'd snicker and laugh and they thought that was really funny. And as they passed him by, they would turn to get one last look at this guy. And the placard on his back said, whose fool are you? And at the end of the day, we're all following something. Whether it's our own heart, our own feelings, our own hopes, our own ambitions, or, or our spouse's ambitions, or whatever it might be, we are following something. You are moving towards something, whether it's advancement at work, whether it's for uh, prestige, or, or whether it would be for influence, or whatever. Everybody in this room is moving towards something, or else you're not living. You might want to check your pulse if that not even resemble you at all. You might want to check your pulse, make sure you're alive. Because as a human being, we all are in motion in one way or another. And I want you to know this. The scripture says, therefore, because we have been buried with Christ and raised in his likeness, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And not just walk in life. Not just get back up and continue to do what we've always done. But what does newness, what is that, when you think of that, what does that entail? Unused. All right, unused, all right. What else? Changed, all right. What else? What's that? Fresh, okay. What else? What is newness? When you think of newness, what do you think of? What's that? To experience something, okay. Good. What else? Did I get that right? Okay, to experiment or experience it. Okay, good. What else? 
Okay, new beginnings. All right. What's that? Clean or unspoiled? Okay. Newness. Think about that for a moment. As our life in Christ, we are to live with a different attitude, a different mindset, a different purpose than what we had. If I were to say, what does oldness mean? You'd probably, I know, you'd say our preacher. I don't know what you'd say, but at the end of the day, when you think of old, you think of something that it has been, right? Maybe something that has been not only in the past, but continues to be because it has been and it still is. And as a believer, we are to live in the newness of Christ. You know one of the most discouraging things I encountered as a youth pastor? Not only just here at Mill Road, but this is true across the board. I've talked to other youth pastors. and all, One of the most discouraging things a youth pastor can go through is when he takes kids to camp, they give their life to Christ, they come back, they tell all these amazing, wonderful things that God has done in their life and how excited they are to want to charge hell with a water pistol and to just, I mean, to like be fully in, fully fledged and to have people who have been saved for years to look at and go, yeah, that won't last long. They'll hit reality before long. And it's very unfortunate that some of us allow ourselves to lose that newness of life. Because how often should that newness happen? Is it a one-time newness? Is it new today if it was new yesterday? Is it new today if it was new 10 years ago when you gave your life to Christ or 15 years ago or 30 years ago? Can it still be new today? I believe that the Scripture tells us to take up our cross daily and to follow Him. What does that infer? That we are to come to encounter the newness of our life every day. It's not meant just to be one-time ordeal. It's something that is meant to perpetuate throughout our lifetime. A newness of life. We are to walk. How can you walk in the newness of life if newness is like a starting line? If I am at the starting line and the scripture would say, all right, you need to live in the starting line of life. That would mean I would need to sit still and not move because if I did, I would get off the starting line. And if I get off the starting line, I'm no longer on the starting line anymore. If newness of life means that when I gave my life to Christ, I am to somehow galvanize in the moment. And unfortunately, that's what happens to a lot of people. They get saved and then uh, they forget what it was that they got saved out of, and they forget what it is to run into that whole journey of life. They come to a place in their life where they feel pretty good about where they're at spiritually, and they look down on other believers who give their life to Christ, who are still struggling with things in their life, and they think, 
Oh, you know what? If they were really a believer, they wouldn't live like that. They wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do that. And somehow they have failed to remember that every day is a newness of life. Not only for that person who gave their life to Christ, but for ourselves as well. My position is not to get my eyes caught on other people and to judge other people. The Bible says that uh, we ought not judge others in order that we ourselves are not judged. There's a, we got one judge, right? And that's Christ Jesus. Our job is to judge ourselves, that we be not judged, that we examine ourselves. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we are not to be there to encourage each other? And if we see somebody in a place as a believer that is a dark place or a place that uh, is harmful for them spiritually, that we should just shut up and not say anything? No, as a brother in Christ, as a sister in Christ, we ought to love them and come to them and, and to want to live life with them and be an encouragement to them. But our position is not one to come and go, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? How shameful you're living your life. That's not the position that we should be in. When the adulterous woman was brought before Jesus and thrown in front of Jesus, he didn't look at her and say, shame on you, did he? No. What he did, he put her accusers in their place, didn't he? He said, those that have no sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Go ahead, let me move out of the way. Go, go for it. And the scripture is clear to say that from the eldest to the youngest, they begin to drop the rocks. From the eldest to the youngest. They knew they were not without sin. And then after they all left, Jesus looked and he came over to the lady who was there obviously ripped out of the adulterous bed, laying there vulnerable, unclothed, I'm sure they didn't, they weren't all about, they were about making a point, weren't they? They weren't about, all right, get your clothes on, all right, wrap yourself up, all right. No, they were making a point. They grabbed her, they threw her out in front of Jesus, and there she lay. And Jesus went over to her and said, where are your accusers? She says, I, I have none. He said, go and sin no more. There was not a judgment on Jesus' part. He did recognize sin as sin, did he not? Don't get me wrong. We can recognize sin for being sin, but we can go in a way that we're loving and caring and that we're not putting ourselves in a position of judgment, but a position of help, a position of encouragement. And that's what God wants us to do. And to put our arms around those around us and to love them because every one of us need that from one another, don't we? You might, you might do well to be like a turtle and pull your head back in your little shell and say, no, not me. You know, I, you convince yourself, not me. Or you, convince, you think you're convincing others. No, not me. But I promise you, we rip the shell off. We're all just alike. Nothing any different with any of us. We're all a part of one race, and that's a human race. And we all have our battles, and we all have our, 
our things that we have that we deal with. And I want you to know this morning that we must have new beginnings in our life. And those new beginnings are not a one-time deal. I love the new year because it brings us oftentimes that place of having to reflect on our life and to begin to evaluate new things in our life and to consider new directions in our life. I think that's valuable. Some people say, oh, I hate New Year's resolutions. I I believe New Year's resolutions are really biblical. They've just got a different name to them. But I believe it's just repenting of how we were and wanting to be different. That's what repentance is. And when we say we don't like repentance, then we don't like what the Scripture tells us to do. It's a new beginning, a new start. But I carry it as far as to say it should not only happen at the new year. It ought to be something that happens every day. It's a newness, a renewing of our heart and mind before Christ Jesus. And it says there, in verse number 4, We are buried therefore uh, with Him by baptism and death in order that, in order that, Don't miss that part. In order that. In other words, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was in order that you would walk in the newness of life. Wasn't just so you could have fire insurance. Thank God for the fire insurance. We're insured that we're not going to have to be cast in a lake of fire. As a believer, that's, that's wonderful. But that's not what salvation is about. Salvation is therefore in order that we might walk in the newness of life. In Christ Jesus, as He walked, we ought to walk. And you know, I can tell you this. Those that push back on this, those that want to live however they want to live, listen to me, will typically use this this phrase. So if you're guilty of thinking this phrase in your mind, then that means you've got a spiritual battle going on inside of you, and we all do, because the Bible says the flesh and the spirit war against each other all the time. And so the battle can be this, but he's Christ, he's Jesus, I'm not Jesus, I can't, Do what he did. And therefore, we just use that as our excuse to go, I'm not Jesus, therefore I can't can't attain it. I can't meet that. No, in Christ Jesus, you've been raised in the newness of life. Therefore, in the best of our ability, our energy, but not our physical energy, our spiritual connection to God, our, our remembrance of our death with him and his resurrection our resurrection with Him, and in that newness of life that we walk with Him every day. And that we understand that that was a spiritual thing that took place at salvation. It is a spiritual thing that you're capable of walking in the newness of life every day. It's a spiritual thing. It's not up to you. It's up to Christ Jesus who lives in you that the only responsibility you have is to make sure that you're following Jesus every day. If he's walking this path and you follow him, you're doing well. Doesn't mean you won't trip. Doesn't mean you won't stumble. It doesn't mean you won't 
sin or fail. But the scripture says if we confess our sin, he is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Doesn't mean we won't sin. It doesn't mean we won't fail. But when we are following Jesus, it does mean we will get up and keep following Jesus. And I realize Satan whispers in your ear, you've messed up so badly this time. God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He is a liar and the truth is not in him. Why would you ever give him a millisecond of your attention or time? I've often said that just, you know, people say, well, when should I confess my sin? The moment you realize that sin is present. What if I don't realize until after the act of sin is done? Then in that moment, you need to confess it and make it right with God. And I realize what Satan says in your mind. He don't want to hear from you right now. He's mad at you right now. He doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He knows what you just did. You know what you just did. But that's not the God we serve and we love. More importantly, it's not the God who loves us and gave himself for us. He didn't die on the cross in vain. We have to be careful not to listen to the voice of the devil when he tries to tell us things that are not true. We are to walk in the newness of life. Why? To the glory of the Father. We too should walk in that newness of life. So first point of my message. That was a long point, right? But the next two points are a lot quicker. Kind of reminds me of a, uh, a little pig that was running and jumped into a fence trying to get back in a fence. I can't help but think when we had 25 acres in Paducah, Kentucky, and we had 25, uh, had 15 uh, piglets and a big sow, and I remember my dog, Fuzz, which was a Labrador retriever, we, you know, those pigs would get out of the fence, and they'd take off running, and we would uh, say, Fuzz, go get the pigs. And he'd take off, and he would run around those pigs, and boy, you'd hear them squealing. You'd see the the brush, like, you know, the, the weeds and stuff going down. As here they come. Boy, you could see them coming. And they had to hit that fence, and their little bodies, you know, their little butt get hung up in the fence, and their back legs would be doing this number. And they couldn't quite get it in there, right? And then the dog come up behind them and nip them in the rear end. They got in. Didn't take much. Well, it reminds me of the point here is a pig getting stuck in the fence and just a couple more points and we'll be through. All right? Here we go. Second point is this. First point is this. Be intentional. Walk in the newness of life. Be, be intentional. Because new beginnings requires new belief. I posted that this week. New beginnings requires new belief. So the first belief, be intentional. Walk in the newness of life. Don't just think, oh yeah, I just got to kind of, I got to go along with the, no, you have to be intentional in the newness of life. Second, I want you to see that we need to be focused. To be focused. In 2 Corinthians, if you will, look at that with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. And I would encourage you, if, uh, take your Bibles out and follow along with me, all right? Really important. Don't rely on me. Don't rely on what's up here on the screen. 
Get your Bibles, open them up, mark them, and underline, and do the different things that help you to go back to this. It's so important that you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, again, you can go back and read why this is therefore, but we're not going into that part right now. But therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice the word if, does the word if imply? It's conditional. There are some who are and there are some who are not. But if you be in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. It's not might or maybe. It's not, well, that may be true about one person. It's not true about me. No. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has what? Has come. The new has come. The new has come. I've got one, thank you. The new has come. I don't want you to miss that. We are to live in the newness of life because the new has come and the new ought to be renewed every day. The old has passed away. You might say, Pastor, that's confusing to me because if the old has passed away, then why is it that I still struggle with some of the same things I struggled with before I became a Christian? It's a good question. It doesn't mean that the struggle doesn't continue on. What it means is that we have a new master. Before we were saved, we were mastered by sin. But now that we are a believer, a new creation, a new creature, we have a new master, and our new master is Christ Jesus. We are no longer a slave to sin. That doesn't mean that the old master doesn't continue to bend your ear and try to get your attention and to lure you back into the old life. The scripture says that we are tempted when we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed. But temptation in and of itself is not a sin. We can be tempted. The scripture says that Jesus was tempted like as we are. But without sin. So just because you may be tempted to do something, just because something may come to your mind that may be wicked or twisted or perverted or whatever it might be or, or the thought of saying something to somebody you should never say, those thoughts come to your mind, doesn't mean, oh my goodness, now here I am living in sin. No, you were tempted to sin. You were tempted to do something you shouldn't do, but you should give no credence to it. My dad always said, sin is like birds in the air. And birds in the air can fly over your head, but only you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. 
That'd be no problem for me. But we have those things that we deal with in our life and those temptations that fly through our mind and our heart, but we cannot give any place to them in our mind. We have to guard our heart and our mind with diligence. We have to be intentional. We have to be focused. I used this illustration a couple weeks ago, but I want to remind you of it, that if we are going to be focused, look at the verse with this thought in mind, with this illustration I gave you last week. It's like driving your car in your rearview mirror. You always know when somebody's driving their car in their rearview mirror. You know what? It's no secret. It drives me insane. My wife will tell you. I fuss about it and she has to preach to me every time. Rightfully so. She said, didn't the preacher say? She always throws that back at me. Didn't the preacher say? Yes. And I have to make it right. But you get behind somebody and, and you know, you come up behind somebody at a stoplight and it might be a number of different reasons maybe you come up on and some of you, you know, you come to a fast stop. You ever come to a fast stop on somebody? All of you probably drive perfect. I may be the only guilty party of coming up on somebody sometimes a little quicker than I intend to and I stop. But what happens is when that happens they go and they start looking in their rearview mirror like, are they going to stop? Like, what's, if I I mean, yeah, maybe they're ready for impact or something. I don't really come up that quick. But, and so I come to stop, and there I am. And the light now has turned green while they're still staring in their rearview mirror. Even after I've stopped, it's like, go, 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 go. I don't do any of that, but I think it. I do say it sometimes. That's where my wife says, quit shaking your head. Stop it. You confess your own. All right, I'll confess mine. All right. Here's the deal. Is that if we're watching in the rearview mirror, we're not moving forward. Listen to me how that applies. Listen to the verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. I know I don't have that on the screen. I'm going to go ahead and read it though. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What I want you to understand is the old has passed. It has passed away and behold, the new has come. What is it saying? It's saying to not focus on your past anymore. Your past is behind you. But pastor, you don't understand what happened just this morning before I got to church. Can I tell you this? That was before you got to church. It's in your past. You can't do anything about that. And some of you are totally humiliated about your past. There's things about your past that you keep in a dark, secret corner, tucked away in a closet because you don't want anyone else to know some of the things in your past. But I want you to understand this. We must learn to embrace our past and understand our past does not define our future. But it is a part of our life. And when you deny your past, 
You are not allowing other people who have as well struggled with some of the same things in their past or maybe even are struggling with right now to even realize there is hope for them because you have found hope. So when we tuck away our secrets and we don't let it be known that what Christ has brought us from and the struggles that we've had were real in our life and now God has brought us to this place but we still can have moments of struggle that our past wants to find its way into our present again but the more we renew our life in Christ we have victory over that and the more we're willing to share our whole story it helps other people to find hope as well. Did you know we're more alike in our, in our struggles than we are in our strengths? Did you know that? Have you ever gone to church and thought, man, I'm nothing like those people. They all got it together. Their marriages are working. Their life is perfect. <laughs> I'm a preacher. I know better. My own life don't represent that. Your life doesn't represent that. We're all broken. We're one beggar pointing another beggar to where the bread is. That's who we are. It's what we do. We're here to help encourage each other and to gird each other and to edify one another and build one another up. That's what the church is about. We have to be focused and remember that as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we have to understand that what is in our past has passed away. And behold, all things have become new. That doesn't mean you rip the rearview mirror off, but the rearview mirror needs to stay its proper size. Our past can always be a reminder of where we've been, but where we're going should be so much bigger in our life. And when you overfocus on where you've been, you will never get where God wants you to be. Your past should be in a rearview mirror. It should be a reminder. Third, last point I'd like to give you today is that we must be determined. We must be determined. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse number 13 and 14, look what it reads here. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made, made it on my own. I haven't been able to do this in my own self, my own flesh, my own strength. I can't do this. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining or pressing forward, pressing on to what lies ahead. Verse number 14, I press on toward the goal of the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. What does is, what is pressing on imply? To continue? Fighting? Persevere? Not to give up? I'm constantly moving forward. All these things are great. These are exactly what this verse is entailing. I'm going to give you something 
because my brain thinks weird and thinks different, and what I'm saying now is only an addition to what you guys are saying, but I think of turning up the heat. Like if I get a, a, a transfer sheet, like, you know, I want to make a T-shirt, and I put a, a, you know, the picture on there, and I take an iron, and I press on. Sometimes the heat's got to get turned up for the transfer to happen. And I think sometimes we get caught in not realizing that when we press on, doesn't mean it's going to get easier. Sometimes it's going to be a lot more difficult. We're going to face a lot more uh, challenges, and there's going to be a lot more obstacles because somebody standing still don't have as many obstacles as somebody who's moving forward. I don't have to worry about speed bumps when I'm sitting in my car and it's in park. But if I'm moving forward, there's obstacles. There's, if you live in Evansville, those online, you have potholes and everything else you have to deal with. When you move forward, or road construction, wonderful Indiana flowers called orange cones and orange barrels. We have all that to deal with when we are moving forward. But understand this, as we press on, a lot of times the heat is turned up. A lot of times the struggle becomes more intense and more real. But that's what pressing on means. Pressing on is not something as simple and easy. I don't run like I used to run. I don't run at all, actually. <laughs> To be completely honest with you. I did run a few weeks ago. Actually, it was a walk run. Maybe, I guess it really wasn't a run. I don't run anymore, but I used to run. And I need to run. That's something I need to change. All right, anyway, a little soul confession. But when I went to Word of Life Bible Institute, we had to do what was aerobics. Every student had to do aerobics. And you figured out what your aerobics were. I ran two and a half miles had to do that four days out of the week. And so not, they didn't require two and a half miles. They required one mile for four days a week. And so that was something I had to do because they were truly believers in the fact that even our human flesh and body is, you know, bodily exercise profiteth little. They truly believe that it profited some. And it might be a little. It's not the main focus. But if you're clear in mind physically, you're going to be a lot more sharper, Right? you're a lot more healthier you're going to be better you're going to receive better you're going to treat people better a lot of things so that was important to them so you do weightlifting or or aerobics as in you know ladies and men as well do aerobics at a gym or whatever there may be aerobics that you do jump rope or or weightlifting or whatever for me I decided to run guess what I do not like to do never have I, I love to run short distance. I get out in high school, though there's probably others that argue this differently, but as I remember it, I could outrun anybody in, in my school on a short run, on a short run. I could outrun anybody. When I was a freshman, I could outrun the seniors in high school on a short run. But you put me in a long run, forget it. <laughs> like, I get winded really fast. So... A long run is a killer. So I had decided, rather than just running a mile, I was going to run two and a half miles because there's this circle that once you start on it, you can't 
stop until you either got to come back or keep going. So it was a two and a half mile run. I decided this is going to be my run. I'm going to run. And so I remember I would run that. And I, I remember I was running one day and somebody pulled up alongside of me in a car, one of the students, or maybe it had been one of the administration. I don't remember. They rolled down their window. They said, hey, Kellogg. I said, don't just build a temple, build a tabernacle. That hit me. I thought, that's interesting. We are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are His. We are His temple. And He was saying, build a tabernacle. Don't just be satisfied with a temple. Build a tabernacle. Well, He wasn't necessarily saying, you know, buff up and, you know, and, and get big muscles and all that. He was just saying, build a strong structure that's going to contain what Christ has in you, and it will last the long haul. That's what he was saying. And I ran. But I want to tell you something. I would hit a half a mile, and it would just, like, I thought I was going to die. Like, my chest, I couldn't breathe. But I kept pressing on and pushing forward. And do you know, before the year was out, I decided one day I was going to go take a run. I took a 12-mile run one day. A guy that don't like to run just decided, and listen, when you're in the Adirondack Mountains, it's not, you're not running flat ground. You're either running uphill or you're running downhill. 12-mile run. I ran six miles in one direction and six miles back. Enjoyed the whole thing, man. I was just looking at the scenery and just moving and bebopping. When I got back from Word of Life, I ran two and a half miles every day for the first uh, nine months or so of coming back home. And then it wasn't shortly thereafter, I ended up breaking my wrist and my weightlifting changed and all that kind of thing and everything just kind of went sideways for me. But my whole point of talking about that is that it was not easy for me. It was hard, but the more I pressed on, the more that I endured, the more it became a part of who I was and what I enjoyed. And the struggle wasn't as hard. I want you to know that the battle you're fighting today will not be as difficult when you begin to find those victories over those battles in your life. There's going to be a strength, a renewing of the heart and mind. Think about this for a moment in closing. Verse number uh, 14. I press on toward the goal So the third point is be determined, but it points back to the first goal, doesn't it? Be intentional. What is a goal? It's a vision. It's a purpose. It's a direction. What is your goal? You have to have individual goals in your life. You'll never move forward without a goal. Without a vision, you will fail. You shoot for nothing, you'll hit it every time. You have to be intentional to shoot towards something. And so set a goal. Know what your goals are in life as a believer. And your goal should be for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That God is more glorified in your life through you living out 
following Jesus more and more every day, making the decisions that Jesus would want you to make, and knowing you'll get a lot of pushback, you'll get a lot of opposition, you'll get people who will call you names, you'll get people who will say, oh, you just think you're better than everybody else. They'll say all kinds of things about you as you're trying to follow Jesus, but you cannot allow yourself to get your eyes off of Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. 